Welcome to Private Equity Perspectives, a podcast by BDO USA's private equity practice. Each episode, BDO connects with leaders in the private equity space to discuss the latest trends driving deal activity, fund strategies, and portfolio company optimization. Hello, and welcome to BDO's Private Equity Perspectives podcast. I'm Todd Kinney, National Relationship Director in BDO's Private Equity Practice based here in New York City. Today, I'm excited to talk to a couple private equity friends from Stella Point Capital and Stone Golf Partners about the investment climate in today's very dynamic market. A quick reminder that the remarks and opinions of our guests do not necessarily represent BDO's views. And with that out of the way, I'd first like to introduce you to Justin Wender, Managing Partner at Stella Point Capital. Thanks, Todd. It's a pleasure to be here and joining you for today. Yep, glad you could be here. Next, I'd like to introduce Rob Bosco, who's Managing Director at Stone God Partners. Appreciate it, Todd. Thank you very much for having us on. All right, guys. Well, I'm looking forward to diving into our uh, conversation, but let's first get a little background on both of you for our listeners. Justin, Stella Point has invested in industrial, consumer, and business services. Perhaps you can talk about what the industries that you invest in have in common from an investment thesis standpoint, and also touch on what types of businesses excite you today. Great, thanks. Um, so, you know, we don't start with a macro down approach. We really invest at the micro in the execution level. But we do start with some basic tenants. And look, we've been doing this now in at Stella Point for you know, eight or nine years and built six platforms and committed about a half billion dollars. And what sort of the thesis around which we invest is a core belief that ultimately the most successful investments we've made are in places where people use human capital and use it as an asset for their business and, and sustain competitive advantage. And we help businesses that are growing at high rates to preserve their culture and continue to grow their business and continue to have competitive advantage. That thread ties all of these pieces together. And as we talk about how we look at prospectively in this environment, we're continuing to focus on places where people have historically had success focusing on human capital as an asset. And we're doing it in places in businesses where folks are providing cost savings for their customers so that as no matter the environment, we're able to basically continue to sustain growth in the businesses. So that thread kind of ties through whether it's digital marketing, whether it's payments, whether it's uh, outsourced print services and hospitals, that thread ties through all of it. And as we look at the world today, we are continuing to push hard in the places where we can bring significant value to customers, bring efficiency, at a time where we think a lot of our customers are looking for it. All right. Well, I appreciate that, Justin. Rob, um, as you know, StoneGoff invests in tech-driven service businesses. So maybe you can talk about your investment approach there and what excites you about this space. Thank you, Todd. So StoneGoff focuses on tech-driven business services uh, with a with seven kind of core focus areas in, within that. So we have business services, consulting services, marketing services. IT services, consumer services, outsourcing services, and human capital and training. And it's a, you know kind of a key thing to um, assessing these companies is they typically focus on a on a on a kind of a vertically driven 
uh, strategy. So you'll be a consulting service focused on IT or a consulting service sold into the telco and market or a you know marketing service sold into the life sciences market. So they usually have this vertical specialization that we can hopefully position and continue to evolve the company uh, through that partnership, right? We're always the first institutional capital in the company and and typically partnering with the founders who have built this business and looking for a partner to evolve it uh, over the next kind of three to seven years. All right. Well, certainly both uh, interesting uh, approaches and, uh, and, and a little unique. So I think that should lend well to uh, the conversation. So let's, uh, let's jump into things. Probably what is one of the uh, more pressing questions on investors' minds today is uh, the economy. Uh, I think this is going to frame most of our conversation today, although we're also going to talk a bit about GP-led secondaries market. So uh, my first question to both of you is really, how concerned are you about your portfolios in the event of a recession? Uh, And as the second part of that, what sectors or types of investments do you think will present the most opportunity? Justin, maybe we'll kick it over to you and then hear from Rob. Perfect. Thanks. Um, So basically, I think we look, I think it's one has to be concerned about, you know, the longest upturn in recorded memory. So uh, we are very focused on looking at our portfolio and the impact of potential recession. I'd say that there are a couple of factors that I think help us gain incremental confidence about our portfolio's ability to move through a cycle. One is that, you know, we're, we're trying always to invest in companies that have a reason to exist, that they're doing something for their customers that makes their customers more efficient. And if we successfully invest in businesses of that type, there's some hedge that comes from our customers or potential customers needing the value we bring. So one important component is, you know, if if your thesis involves, you know, basically saving money for your customer base, that should buffer you to some degree in a recession. The second piece is that we generally try to use very modest leverage in the investments we own. And so that combination, I think, is is sort of the what we hang our hat on through a recession. Obviously, it also brings incremental opportunity as others suffer in the environment to add, which in many cases becomes the impetus to sort of a trampoline effect as you go from kind of pre-recession to post-recession. Yeah, Justin, I would I would uh, kind of just jump in there and sort of reinforce that that concept or that that focus here. I'm like, you know, why do these companies need to exist? Why do our portfolio companies uh, engage, or why do our clients, our, our portfolios companies' clients, engage with them on a on an annual basis? And that's something we're looking at um, when we're underwriting the deal up front, and that's something that we're looking at on a quarterly basis during during board meetings and and you know inter intra quarter during sort of tactical discussions with our management teams. And um, you know the other point I would I would reinforce is that kind of conservative or you know a fair amount of leverage on a business and and treating that as a way to create flexibility to weather uncertainty in the environment. So those two things are definitely key to being able to kind of withstand it. But at the same time, right, our, if you go back to our Stone Goff's focus area of tech-driven business services, technology is only getting more and more important as 
um, as the economy evolves, as the world evolves, as as you know the employment picture, right? It's still a pretty challenging in, uh, employment market right now. But if you can find ways to leverage technology and deliver your services more efficiently, that should help you know kind of uh, weather that that challenging piece to to the labor market. So um, at the end of the day, we're focusing on businesses that are in the tech-driven services end market, and that is a, a part of our initial underwrite, and that should help kind of uh, kind of hold up in in these challenging macro environments. Sure. Uh, well. I'd probably add one other thing, you know, and this is true, I think, for both of us, but I don't want to speak for Rob here, but we're typically also first money in first institutional capital, and we're typically buying businesses where there's still opportunity and we're, you know, where we're helping management take advantage of opportunities that were untapped due to capital or expertise prior to our arrival. So embedded in our investment thesis is a level of improvement in the business, which even in recession, we should be able to take the opportunity to benefit from. So I think that's that's an added piece that probably is consistent for, I would imagine, Rob, both of us. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, Justin. Yeah, the, the um, right, one of the things that we try to, the ways that we partner with our companies is definitely talent right at the at the board level helping uh helping our our new partners assess talent at the cfo vp of finance head of marketing head of sales um and it helps right bringing that cfo in will help the whole entire organization think about hey this is what our cash flow forecast looks like this is what our our revenue forecast looks like in these certain scenarios so they can start to plan uh, for these uncertain times, and do some scenario analysis around that. So, as Justin said, we are we are bringing that value to our portfolio companies and preparing them, not necessarily for this particularly, but we think it adds value as you evolve a business to help them grow. But it also adds value as you bring some of that talent into the organization to uh, you know to kind of weather some of this uncertainty. Great insight there, guys. I think there's some great takeaways there for our. Uh... Listeners, let's take the conversation in another, albeit related, direction. The GP-led secondary market has seen significant growth recently. So, Rob, I'm going to throw this one at you. I know this is something you've had some recent experience with. What's your outlook for GP-led secondaries market? Yeah, thanks, thanks, Todd. It, you know, it's it was our uh, first transaction in this category, our first GP-led transaction, which we closed earlier this year. Um, it is it's a it's an interesting, I guess, asset type to think about for for GPs as we're looking at our portfolio, and you know, we we're entering this potential recessionary period. You know, there are definitely ways to use. Um, you know this secondary market as a, a source of liquidity, a source to find new partners. Um, the transaction that we were able to complete in 2022 was one where we really, really believed in the in the the uh, portfolio company that we we continued to back, and we and wanted to give the management team there an opportunity to continue to build out their vision. And by doing this transaction, we were able to. Provide a, a, a 
uh, a path to liquidity at a, at a nice return for our existing investors and bring in a new a new uh, source of capital and new new equity partners, new LPs into the, the continuation vehicle to um, to support the management team, uh, which we are leading. Um, Stone Goth is still the you know, still leading the business from a GP perspective, um, but giving the management team that we have at that portfolio company the runway to continue to execute on their vision. Um, you know, they we just had bought in a new team a couple of years ago, and they were just starting to hit the ground running on on sort of their three to five year plan. And now they have that that runway to do that with a sponsor that believes in them and, and supports them uh, uh, with that plan. So, you know, it's a it's a great it's a great opportunity for other GPs to just, you know, kind of back um, por- portfolio companies that they want to stick with uh, and, you know, give liquidity to investors that might need it or, you know, just from a timing perspective. I appreciate that. I, uh, I cover a couple hundred uh, middle market firms in the uh, greater New York area. And this, this topic continues to come up time after time with uh, client and client. So mm-hmm. really good uh, perspective there, Rob. Before I turn our final question about the impact of the market today on the investment life cycle, I'd like to turn it over to our coffee break guest, Eric Higgins. Eric is a managing director with BDO's investment banking arm, BDO Capital. Eric is going to talk about the effect that technology and digital transformation are having on M&A processes. Thanks, Todd. This is Eric Higgins, a director with BDO Capital Advisors, the investment banking subsidiary of BDO USA and the U.S. affiliate of BDO's global corporate finance practice. As many of the people listening to this podcast are aware, the M&A markets throughout 2021 were incredibly frenetic and set global records both in terms of dollar value of deals completed as well as the number of M&A transactions completed. While technology and digital transformation are business buzzwords, the increased use of key technologies in M&A transactions has made a notable difference in both the speed to close as well as the ease of completing the due diligence process. Whether you're a a legal advisor, a financial advisor, or one of the other key consulting groups that are involved in the M&A due diligence process, I think you'd agree that these key technologies have become critically important as the sheer volume of deal flow that your business is seeing has increased uh, in the backdrop of a, a shortage of HR professionals to process the significant volume of work that needs to be conducted during a proper due diligence process for an M&A transaction to reach a successful closing. One area in particular that's benefited from the advent of these M&A technologies involves contract review. Historically, for a buyer to properly complete legal due diligence, they would have to invest in the manual review of all contracts associated with a target, which could potentially be thousands of pages of materials. And I think we can all agree that the importance of going through contracts to identify potential exposure areas is something that cannot be compromised. 
Um, and in a world where M&A deal volume is as high as it currently is, and there's a shortage of qualified legal professionals that are available to assist in contract review, this task has become even more daunting if it weren't for the introduction of AI and machine learning powered technologies that have helped streamline the contract review process. For example, there are now tools that can perform contract analysis almost instantaneously and greatly reduce the time it takes to compare and review all key contracts associated with a potential target. These algorithms can also be set up and customized to identify areas of concern very specific to a buyer, whether it be regulatory compliance or a specific corporate risk area that they have heightened sensitivities around. These customizable uh, and targeted M&A technologies uh, have certainly made a significant improvement on the overall timeline to get a deal across the finish line. Another area where technology has helped facilitate M&A transactions involves the move to cloud computing. This move has allowed for 24-7 access to crucial deal documents from anywhere in the world, and it allows deal teams to organize key documents into one central location while also facilitating collaboration and full deal transparency across all functional areas in the deal lifecycle. BDO's own M&A-powered platform and its quality of business due diligence approach analyzes relevant data and generates a report which gives deal teams a comprehensive view of the entire quality of business while providing actionable insights both pre, during, and post-deal to everyone involved in the M&A process. As more aspects of deal-making become digitized and technology-enabled, I think we can expect much more comprehensive platforms that offer services from deal origination all the way through change of control. And these technologies will, without a doubt, continue to increase the efficiency and effectiveness of third-party consultants completing the due diligence process and getting an M&A deal to a successful closing. Uh, it's important to note all of these M&A technologies that are being introduced to the market are not a substitute for deal professionals and advisors but rather it's a power-up that allows all of us to accomplish deals faster, more efficiently, and often at a lower cost to both buyer and seller alike. Thanks, Todd. I'll turn it back to you. Thanks, Eric. Valuable insights on how technology is benefiting transactions and how service platforms are being developed to address the entire life cycle. Now back to our conversation with Justin Wender and Rob Bosco. All right, guys, speaking of the life cycle, that brings me to our final question. The investment climate is, shall we say, dynamic these days. Uh, perhaps a bit of an understatement, but private equity is an asset class that, as, as you guys both know and have touched on, has the benefit of a longer investment horizon. 
So I'm going to throw this one uh, out to both of you. Uh, maybe you could talk about what you're seeing and also expect to see through the investment life cycle, you know, touching on competition and valuations to value creation and exit. So, uh, Rob, why don't we start with you this time and then hear from Justin? Awesome. Thank, yeah. thank you, Todd. Yeah, th I think um, you know, th this, you know, as we enter what we talked about earlier being some a potential recession or some uncertainty, um, uh, I think that there is definitely going to be, you know, opportunity for folks with capital, but I think uh, there is still a lot of capital in the market. So valuations haven't really, um, you know, trended in, you know, hasn't, haven't really, at least in the lower middle market, haven't followed what we're seeing in the public markets. Um, and so there's still, there's still a lot of competition and a lot of capital chasing high quality assets. Um, but, you know, there's, that doesn't mean that there aren't opportunities to, you know, uh, benefit or kind of bolster up your existing portfolio. We have seven active portfolio companies and a lot of them are actively pursuing M&A acquisitions. This is a great opportunity to do that because sometimes there are, you know, there are, there are definitely companies looking for capital that, um, you know, could, could kind of benefit from being part of a larger platform and, you know, coming, coming into the market with seven active portfolio companies who are well capitalized to, to, um, have it, you know, and kind of go after an add-on strategy is this could be a, you know, a good opportunity or a good, you know, timing from a, a market perspective to, to go after that. So we're definitely uh, excited about the opportunities that exist, but there's definitely competition. There's a lot of capital still out there and valuations haven't um, uh, necessarily kind of, I, I think, followed the, the public market uh, headlines that we're all seeing in the, in the journal every day. I don't know, Justin, if you're seeing that or or, or not, but uh, I'll let you speak for that. So thanks, Rob. What I would say is that, um, you know, if you look back at prior cycles, one of the things that's, it makes intuitive sense in one sense, but is sort of not wholly rational, is that it takes time for the, I think, private markets to catch up with new realities. And so, you know, there, if you look at, um, at, several factors, you got to think prices are going to change, but it takes time for people to reset their notion of this. I mean, I think I would start with leverage. Obviously, if we're in for a long-term higher level of rates, people aren't going to be able to borrow as much, which has to have a meaningful impact on overall prices that the industry can pay. Uh, and so, you know, overall, there has to be some reduction in price. But what typically has happened, at least going back to the Great Recession and even in the late 90s, early 2000s, is that what tends to happen is activity slows first, and then there's a bit of a reset. Now, the, totally correct, there's more capital this time, but ultimately, you know, the combination of less leverage available, paying more for it, and uncertainty about kind of the economic environment and where some of these businesses that have been on a long-term positive trajectory could go through a cycle means that there will be some step change. Money, equity dollars aren't sufficient to keep these prices at the levels they're at, but we may be in for several quarters of much lower volume. And I think we're starting to see that, but that could even get more extreme. And so 
you know, I think it's going to be really hard to have a definitive view on what's going to happen to price until you get into the mid to later part of 23, because that's where I think you're going to start to see some reality about this being a new world, not just a credit flip or, you know, a brief economic change. Yeah, well, I, a couple of the topics you guys touched on, certainly valuations. We have uh, not experienced much of a drop with our clients, uh, but uh, I think we do all agree that there's going to be a reset. And the value creation topic, uh, you know, BDO has an operational value creation uh, practice, really a, a strong bench of consultants doing a bunch of profit uh, improvement and efficiency stuff. And, you know, they've never been busier. So uh, a lot of our clients are tapping uh, their research resources during the, uh, the holding period. So lots of good insight there, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Todd, Todd, I would just add, you know, I think from the value creation side, we're, we are definitely, you know, using this time to look at our portfolio, as I mentioned about the, you know, kind of the add-on strategy, but also just looking at it from a, a talent perspective. Um, and, you know, are there ways to, to kind of bolster the, the kind of our teams, our portfolio company teams during this period to to maybe take advantage of, of some of the opportunity that this creates? So I think, you know the way that we think about value creation it's definitely it's definitely trying to bring talent into the organization as well as a, 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 you know an m a focused um, strategy so that's two things that I think can can be productive or can be uh, kind of uh, deployed during during these uncertain times and from a an exit and also an exit strategy right we could we could kind of try to prophesize around how long if this might extend out certain hold periods. But I think for now we're, we're, we're managing a great portfolio. And, and um, I think, you know, we're still honing in on, you kind of led into the, to, into this section with three to seven years kind of typical hold periods. And I don't think that that range uh, wavers too much during the next, uh, during this upcoming cycle. Justin, anything to add there? Uh, the only thing I would say is that, um, you know, I think as an industry, we've done a good job of opportunistically selling businesses into a good market. And so by definition, hold periods likely will be on average for the industry longer. Obviously, if we do a good job with our value creation plan, even and and we get out at multiples that are where we purchased or in maybe in some cases, you know, the models have to be rejiggered a, a little to contemplate that you might have value contraction. Um, if we do a good job, there's still great returns to be had, but it might take us a little longer to get to that sale because we'll have fewer of the opportunistic opportunities versus having built the business to a point where now we're ready to sell. There are going to be many fewer people coming along early and taking us out of these things ahead of where we would have expected. Yeah. Well, guys, you've given us a lot to think about, and I uh, appreciate the uh, back and forth. Certainly excellent uh, insights. Um, there's no doubt we continue to be in a very interesting uh, economic climate, and uh, we'll see what 2023 has on tap. But uh, Justin and Rob, I really appreciate uh, both of you joining me today on the podcast and, and the broader relationships with, uh, with your firms. Great to have you here today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. All right. To our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, 
and leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, this is BDO's Private Equity Perspectives. Investment banking products and services within the United States are offered exclusively through BDO Capital Advisors, LLC, a separate legal entity, an affiliated company of BDO USA, LLP, a Delaware Limited Liability Partnership, and National Professional Services Firm. For more information, visit BDOCAP.com. Certain services may not be available to attest clients under the rules and regulations of public accounting. BDO Capital Advisors, LLC, member FINRA, SIPC. The views presented by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of their respective firms. 